We are up to chapter 5, Mishnah number 19. Any love that is dependent upon something, if that thing, the thing upon which the love hinged, the thing upon which the love relied, was dependent upon, if that thing is nullified, then the love which rested upon it goes away as well. But love that is not dependent upon something specific, is not annulled forever. So there's two kinds of love. There's the love that's reliant upon something, and that thing, or that kind of love, is very shaky, is very rickety, because the thing upon which it is relied, the love is only as strong as the thing upon which it is relied, and if that thing goes away, then the love goes away as well. Whereas if you have an unconditional love, then that love will endure. Okay. What is an example of a love that is reliant upon something? This is the love of Amnon and Tamar, the two children of David. We know the story. Amnon, the son of David, he really loved, he coveted, he lusted after his half-sister Tamar, and then he raped her in a really awful manner, and then he hated her. And, of course, in general, ended up poorly for him because he was assassinated. So with Amnon and Tamar, the love that they had for each other was reliant upon something, and that went away, and then the love turned into hate. In fact, the hatred that exceeded the love that he had for her previously. Okay, so that's one kind of love. And what's an example of a love that is not dependent upon anything? Zu Ahavas David Vihonas, and that's the love of David and Jonathan. These are people that... You know, you would imagine, theoretically, hypothetically, could have been people that were rivals for the throne, but because they had such genuine and, and deep-seated love for each other that was not reliant upon something else, no matter what, that affection endured, and they loved each other. Okay, so that's our Mishnah. We're told about love, two kinds of love, and what love, what kind of love will endure, and which will collapse. So Rashi, let's just kind of edging into this subject, Rashi gives us the simple explanation here that love is an emotion that's kind of fickle and it has to rely upon something. Or at least in most cases, it will rely upon something. And that love is only as secure as the thing upon which it rests. So if it's more intrinsic, more essential, then that kind of love will endure. But if it's based upon superficial things like 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 beauty or lust, then that love will collapse, that love will plummet. This is a general principle I think we're familiar with, that lust eventually dissipates, and the love that hinged upon that lust will go away as well. And therefore, if you want to build a relationship, a loving relationship, it's very important that that love be based on something more secure than something that will just go away. If you base the love upon things that endure, so for example, you know, someone's character, the way they are is likely to stay. Someone's values, someone's priorities, someone's personality, someone's soul, those are things that endure. And if that is the basis for a loving relationship, and that is what it's based upon, well then, the love is likely to endure. This is, I think, just a simple Mishnah to explain to us, you know, why so many people 
love each other and commit themselves to each other till death do them part. And then they reneged upon that pledge and they not only cease to love each other, often they begin to hate each other. This is the answer because they did love each other, but the love was reliant upon something that went away. And maybe they, they lusted for each other or they were, you know, so bedazzled by attraction to each other. And then that went away eventually, slowly it dissipated, and the love really had nothing to stand upon, and it collapsed, and it may have been even replaced with hatred. So this is just an amazing thing, how, you know, such a simple idea, such a true aphorism that we have in a book that's nearly 2,000 years old, yet it's just amazing to me how many people fall into the same trap to base their love upon something exterior, on something non-intrinsic, and they end up getting burned. I want to talk more about this in just a bit. So that's the basic idea of this Mishnah. The love that people have for each other is as strong as what it is based upon. If it's based upon something that will go away, the love will go away with it as well. I saw an amazing Rabbeinu Yonah, and the Rambam says the same thing in their commentary here. And he says, what is an example of love that's not related upon something. So we have two kinds of love. We have the love that's reliant upon something and that's very likely to dissipate. And then we have a second kind of love that's not reliant upon anything. Apparently, that's how you read the Mishnah. And that is likely to endure. If you look at the Rambam in his commentary, he says something fascinating. He says that love is always reliant upon something. The question is, is that thing a physical thing, or is that thing a spiritual thing? We know, and he gives us a general rule, all physical things eventually erode. They eventually go away. They eventually get lost. They eventually get uh, get separated. Because physical things, by definition, are a mashup, are an amalgam of small pieces. And therefore, the very nature of physicality is that it has to break away. Whereas spiritual things are not like that, they endure, and therefore it's imperative, says the Rambam, if you want to build a lasting, loving relationship, it must be based upon spiritual things and not physical things. And therefore when it says uh, the kind of love that endures is a love that's not reliant upon anything, means not anything physical, but yes, it is reliant upon something spiritual. What he calls it, he says, God or godly things. Of course, God is Echad, was, is, and will be. It's the one thing that is completely static. It's the one thing that never changes. And if that's the basis of the love, then you are sure that that love will endure. I was thinking that there is a ubiquitous custom to wish a young couple that they should build and establish a worthy and enduring home in Israel. That's like a blessing that you give to a bride and groom. And it always struck me as a strange way to formulate. You know, you want to wish them to have a good life together, to have a good marriage and relationship and build something special together. But the way it is framed, build a home Build kind of this this enduring unit amongst Israel. I think this is what it's indicating. 
the basis of a kind of relationship that endures is one that has shared values, shared goals, and one that they're striving to build a home amongst Israel. They're adding another node to the network of the Jewish people. They're adding another node to the network of the people who are committed to actualizing and fulfilling the will of God in this world. And therefore, if that's the basis of the relationship, the relationship is likely to endure. Now, I want to point out something very important. Of course, if the exterior, so to speak, don't match up, if there isn't, you know, chemistry, if they're not attracted to each other, if they don't have all those other things, then that's a very bad idea to build a relationship with. You know, if you're not attracted to someone, you should never marry them. Just number one rule. You heard it over here. But what's the basis? If God or godly values, enduring values are the base of, of their love, then we are told over here that their love indeed will endure. And in general, the union that's, you know, the most common loving relationship, when we think of a loving relationship, we are told in the Jewish literature that it is eternal. Did you know that? I always make a joke. I tell people, well, when you want to get married, it's not so important. Marriage is not forever. It's only like 60, 70, 80, 90 years. That's it. You don't have to be a good person. You don't have to actually become a good person. All you got to do is just fake it for 70, 80, 90 years. That's it. If you just make sure you're in the best behavior for 90 years, that's it. You don't actually have to change. You don't actually have to become a good person. Just fake it for 90 years. That's all you need to do. You don't have to be a, a good loving spouse and actually a good loving Just make believe, be in your best behavior for 90 years. That's it. It's not forever. <laughs> it's a joke that I make. But the truth is, it's not true. The union, the bond of husband and wife is eternal. When the body and soul get separated and the soul goes to heaven, we're told that the husband and wife, their souls are linked they're linked for all eternity. How do we know this? In a couple of weeks, we're going to read the parsha. How Joseph is propositioned by the wife of Potiphar, and he resists, he rebuts, he repels her attempts to try to seduce him. And it says he refuses to be with her and to sleep with her. And Rashi tells us he doesn't want to be with her, not in this world and not in the next world implying that had Joseph capitulated, that wouldn't be a one and done. That would be, so to speak, something that he will be forever connected to for all of eternity. And therefore, certainly this Mishnah is very germane to the subject of marriage because we want our marriages to endure. They're supposed to be around forever. This is some baggage, so to speak, you're taking with you for all of eternity. And therefore, you want to make sure you make the right decision. You don't blunder and you don't base your relationship upon things that will eventually go away. And in fact, you know, this Ramam tells us that a relationship that's based upon God or godly values will endure. In general, we are told in the literature that marriage is an alliance between man, woman, and God. Did you know that? <laughs> a marriage is man, woman, and God. 
How do we know that? Well, the Talmud tells us in the book of Sota on page 17a, we read the following. You ready for this? Really short piece, but one that packs a punch. Ish ve'isha, which means a man and a woman. Ish is a man. Isha is a woman. Zachu, if they are meritorious, Shechina beinayim, the divine presence is amongst them. Lo zachu, if they are not meritorious, Eish ochaltam, a fire will consume them. If they are meritorious, then the Shechina is amongst them. A man and woman, if they're meritorious, the Shechina is amongst them. And if not, a fire will consume them. What does this mean? So Rashi explains that the Hebrew word for a man is ish. The Hebrew word for a woman is isha. Those words sound kind of similar. The Hebrew word for fire is esh, which is an aleph and a shin. Now, both the word for man and woman is esh plus one letter. Ish, which is man, is esh plus a yud, aleph, yud, shin. And isha is esh plus a hey, is aleph, shin, hey. And the name of God, one of the names of God, is a yud and a hey. Meaning that a man and a woman are fire and fire plus God. That's what the Talmud says. Fire plus fire plus God. The man is a fire plus the yud of the name of God. The woman is fire plus the hay of the name of God. And therefore, if they're meritorious, it's an ish and it's an isha and there's God amongst them. And that tames the fire. Whereas if they are not meritorious and God is not part of this union, that God leaves and all you have is ish and ish, fire and fire... And then you have an awful conflagration. The fire consumes them. That's the Talmud in the book of Sota on page 17a. There's fire on both sides of this relationship. But if you bring God into this union, well, that tames the fire and it prevents a disaster. What this is telling us is an astonishing Talmud, very short piece. It's telling us that the grounds for disaster are always present whenever there's a union of man and woman. Always. There's fire on both sides. Calamity is crouching, ready to pounce. But if you bring God in it, then you have God amongst you, and there's no fire. If there's an ish, and there's an ish, and there's God, and there's pleasantness, and, and harmony, and stability, and security, and love, it's great. But if God is balanced out of this union, all you have is fire plus fire, and all you have is a total unmitigated disaster. Now, by the way, this is, there's a deeper message here. And I'm going to say this quickly because I don't want to get myself into trouble. The man is Aish, which is fire plus a yud. The woman is Aish, which is fire plus a hay. The yud and the hay is the name of God. That's what we're told, right? Fire plus yud is man. Fire plus hay is woman. The Talmud of the Book of Menachos, page 29b, tells us that the Almighty created two worlds, this world and the next world, and this world he created with the letter Hey. And next world, the spiritual world, he created with the letter Yud. And the reason why he created this world with the letter Hey is because in this world, people are in the Hey, if you know what a Hey looks like. They're in the Hey, but then they fall out, and they got to come back, and they have to go around the side, so to speak, to repent. And the next world is created with letter Yud, which is the smallest letter of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. The reason why? It's because only a small amount of people end up there. Because most people are not 
righteous or meritorious enough to end up there. Now, if you compare these two pieces in Talmud, Sota 17a, Menachos 29b, you discover something fascinating. There's fire plus yud. The yud is always related to the spiritual world, because that's the letter the money used to create the spiritual world. And that's the man. And the woman is fire plus hay, which is the letter they might have used to create the physical world. These Talmuds are obviously related on a very basic level. What it's telling us is that marriage is this unity of heaven and earth. And you know what? There's probably some other lessons that uh, we could maybe conceive, but that is for another time. But I prepared a treat for y'all. I prepared a treat. You want a treat? Here's a treat. We're talking about love and what it is reliant upon. My grandfather, blessed memory, wrote a very short piece, a very short pamphlet, which is called Guidance for a Groom. Guidance for a Groom. And it's like, I would say maybe 10 chapters, very short. And it's intended for a young groom about to get married to make sure that he has an amazing marriage. And this is how it starts off. Now, it's written in Hebrew. I actually translated it into English. But after I finished translating it into English, my brother sent me a letter that my grandfather wrote. Someone said, oh, I want to, trans- I want to translate this guidance for the groom into English. He says, no, no, you can't translate into English. If you don't know Hebrew, I'm sorry, you can't read it. But I said, you know what? I have a treat. We're friends here. We're friends. I'm going to translate the first opening paragraph of this pamphlet for you because it's relevant to our subject. So it starts off as a dialogue between a wise man and a young, precocious and excitable groom. And the wise man asks the groom, what do you think? is the basis upon which you want to build your home. You're starting a marriage, you know, start a union here together. What's the basis? So he says, well, mutual understanding and, and mutual love. That's what that's the basis. So then he responds like this. He says, I thought you would answer that like that. This is what the wise man is responding in the dialogue. But let me ask you a cruel question. And forgive me for my sober approach, which is likely to shatter rosy fantasies. Ready? We're going to shatter rosy fantasies. He says, after all, we're trying to have a frank conversation here, a useful conversation. And the reality differs completely than what people imagine. And my question to you is, What's going to be in get married and you're going to find major differences between your perspective, your worldview and that of your spouse after your marriage. And you know what? This mutual understanding you're talking about, there isn't much mutual understanding in many areas. Oh, and love, love that you talked about, this mutual love. And he quotes our Mishnah. The Mishnah says the only kind of love that endures is love that is not reliant upon anything, or at least not anything physical. Who's to say that your love will endure? So if so, you're telling me that mutual understanding, maybe you won't have that. And mutual love, well, maybe you won't have that either. 
What are you going to do then? What's what's your plan? <laughs> so uh, there's a whole back and forth here with the uh, with the groom. But he ultimately says, do you think that love alone is a firm basis, a firm foundation upon which to build a home, a marriage, a union? After all, we're talking about living life together day after day, year after year, in all kinds of different situations, in areas where, you know, things change and circumstances change and tempers get flared and temperaments get challenged and equilibriums get destroyed. Is that equilibriums or equilibria? I don't know. I have to Google that. Equilibria get disrupted. And there's no home that does not have times where tempers flare. And it's possible that the love that you're talking about, Mr. Groom, will turn into hatred. And we hope that this won't happen all the time. But if this is what you're basing your relationship upon, that's a very bad idea. And how do we ensure that your home doesn't collapse? So the groom responds. He's like, you're scaring me. You're terrifying me. I hope this won't happen. He says, I'm not trying to terrify you. I'm trying to calm you down. And I'm going to show you the foundation that is so strong that will uphold the home, even in situations such as this. And that is, drumroll please, he reveals what the basis, what the foundation upon which to base a union upon, and quotes a verse in Scripture, Tov ladever kiyisa al minurav, it is good for a man to accept upon himself a yoke as a youngster, says the Midrash. What does that mean? It's the yoke of marriage. This is what it means, Mr. Groom. When you're getting married, you're accepting upon yourself a yoke that you're going to carry your whole life in every situation, and you'll never shirk this yoke. You'll never unshackle yourself from this yoke. And the whole book is based upon what it means to accept upon yourself this yoke. But anyhow, I thought it was fitting for us if we're talking about things that last and things that go away. Our mission is talking about love and how a love that is based upon external things can go away. And the truth is, according to the Midrash, love is just, it's an accessory, so to speak, to the union. It's not the foundation. The foundation is what he calls here a yoke. What that means is the subject of that pamphlet. But it's an interesting thing. Most people would say that the basis of every relationship is love. Here we're finding out it's more like commitment. Something else. Love is an outgrowth of that. If the love is based upon the commitment, well, that perhaps will endure. If you have this yoke, as it's called in the words of the Midrash, if you have that at all times and you never remove that from yourself, and that's the foundation, well, then the love upon which this hinges, well, then that will endure as well. Now, I saw another amazing comment here on this, on this Mishnah. And this comment, it's so wild. I have no words to describe how wild what I'm about to share with you is. We're talking about love in this Mishnah. And of course, love is something we think of primarily in terms of relationship that we have with other people. You know, the love of David and Jonathan, you know, wasn't a sexual love. It was just a, was a bond. It was an unbreakable bond 
of two friends, no matter what life brought them. Amnon Tamar was more of what we would traditionally think of as, as a romantic love, which it didn't last. But regardless, when we think of love, primarily we think of it in terms of interpersonal relationships. But of course, we know there is a mitzvah in the Torah to love God. The first verse of the Shema, Ve'ahavta et Hashem alokacha, you shall love Hashem your God. So there's a mitzvah for us to love God. And what is that love based upon? So the Chassid Yaiv, it's one of the amazing books written on this book of Mishnah. He says that this principle that love is only as secure upon which it rests, as the thing upon which it rests, this principle is applied across the board on every kind of love. Of course, there's a very visceral kind of love feature in the Mishnah, the interpersonal love, but really it's true across the board. Even love of God follows this rule that the love of God is only as strong and as secure as what it's based upon. Now, isn't that interesting? Love of God is also based upon something. Well, what is that? Well, he tells us it's, it's, it's a piece. Actually, I was standing here with a friend of mine and I said to him, did you see what he said? I said, read it again. We read it together. And this idea that's so stunning is not explicit in his words, but it's implicit. You have to really read it carefully to, to figure what he's saying. So I'm going to read, I'm going to read it with y'all and, and let's see if we can figure out what he's saying. He's saying that this Mishnah is talking about love, but it's also hinting at the love that we have with God. He quotes, of course, the story of Job. Job loved God, but was it really based upon, you know, a genuine love for God or was it based upon other things? And that was the test of Job as we know the story. So he says like this, our love for God can be based upon physical things and it can be based upon spiritual things. And of course, the physical things, well, they erode, they disappear, they dissipate, they go away. And therefore, if our love of God is based upon the physical things that he does for us, of course, God does lots of physical things for us. The fact that we could breathe, the fact that we could eat, the fact that we could digest. And in all those things, we're supposed to love God. We're supposed to thank God. We're supposed to acknowledge the divine goodness inherent in that. But if that alone is the basis upon our relationship, well, maybe that won't last. However, if our love of God is based upon something more spiritual, we love God because of the, the spiritual relationship that we have developed, well, then that will endure. But he says something so astonishing. Here's the point that he says. As long as you are physical, which of course all of us are, so long as we are in our current orientation, we have a body, Inside the body, there's a soul. We're, we're physical and spiritual beings, but we're kind of this hybrid right, right now. As when we're alive today, we're, we're a hybrid. When you're dead, it means you're actually more alive than you ever were because you don't have that physicality dragging you down. But so long as we're physical, we appreciate physical things. Is that right? We appreciate physical things because after all, we're half physical. Maybe we're 90% physical. Maybe we're 10% physical, but we're definitely, we have some physicality to us. And therefore, it's possible to love God because of all the physical things he does for us. After all, we had a good year. 
we're healthy. Our sports teams are doing well. Things are good. Our preferred candidate maybe won the presidency or maybe the other guy, whatever. We don't talk politics. I know nothing about politics, of course. But there's a lot of reasons that we can have from our physical environment. We can say, you know what? Thank you, God. I love you. But what happens when we die? When we die, we're not physical anymore. We don't appreciate the physical things anymore. And then, says the Chassid Yavitz, then our love of God will go away. That's what he says. Our love of God will go away after we're dead if the love of God when we were alive was based only upon physical things. And the reason why this is so astonishing is because what he is telling us, that this Mishnah is hinting, that our love of God can disappear not when we're alive, when we're dead. We're in heaven and that, and we're just a soul. And if there's nothing about the soul's world that it appreciates God in, well, then there's no more love for God in heaven. And that's the danger. You like food. Thank you, God, this amazing steak. We think of that as a mitzvah. It is a mitzvah, of course. Thank God for your amazing steak. What a beautiful day. It's sunny. Thank you, Hashem. Thank you for giving me this beautiful day. These are we, these are things that we would look at. That's a mitzvah. That's the right thing to do. But if that is the sole arena of someone's love for God, when you die, there ain't more, no, there's no more states. There's no more delightful horizons to look at. There's just spirituality. If you don't have a spiritual reason to love God, your love of God will go away then. I always thought that, you know, once you're dead, if you're righteous, so long as you're alive, once you're dead, you cannot lose that. He's saying something astonishing. Our love of God can be annulled once we're dead. To me, this is an astonishing thing. I think it's a, it's a new understanding of what we're trying to do over here. We're training ourselves to love God and to foster a relationship with God that will endure once we no longer have a body. We're no longer contained, incarcerated in a body. We think of, you know, before I read this, I was thinking, well, as long as you're righteous every day of your life, when you die, that's it. You can't lose the level that you've obtained. We think of heaven, so to speak, as static. You know, what you've accomplished here, that's all you could bring to heaven. What he is saying is that your situation, your circumstance is not immutable. It can be changed. Someone can love God when they're alive and cease to love God when they die if the love of God was reliant solely upon the physical environment in which we live. And therefore, I think this gives us a new understanding of like, you know, Torah is spiritual. And if we appreciate the Almighty for giving us Torah, well, that's a spiritual thing to base our love of God upon. And therefore, when we die, that still exists. That's still part of the spiritual world. And therefore, the love of God will endure. But this idea that a person can have a love of God that will just disappear because the love of God was reliant upon the physical environment that a person lived in. To me, that was an astonishing idea. And it's not explicit, but it's implied in this amazing comment from the Chassid Yaivetz. It's almost like we're training ourselves here in our physical 
temporal existence, we're training ourselves to, to have the tools and to have the relationships that will endure in the spiritual world. So, of course, it's a very important Mishnah on many levels, on a very basic level. We're told that love is as strong as its foundations. Perhaps we could even say that love is an expression of its foundations. And if foundations go away, the love goes away, and the love can be replaced. That void, that vacuum can and most likely will be replaced with hatred. And then we saw this advanced idea that in interpersonal relationships, there's supposed to be a third party, namely God. David and Jonathan loved each other because they, the values were aligned. And therefore, Jonathan was willing to take, you know, a back seat to David because he wasn't just thinking about his role, what he's going to get out of it in a physical sense. It was like, what does God want? God wants David to be king? Okay, I'll be second in command. Because God was partner, so to speak, to this relationship, that relationship adored. Similarly, we were told, ish v'isha, man and woman, it's fire on both sides. The fire is tamed with God. And then there's happiness and, and harmony. And then we saw this amazing and scary piece in the Chassid Yaivetz, who tells us that in our relationship with God, that loving relationship, it's going to change. It's going to adjust once we're in a completely spiritual environment, and we have to make sure that the love that we have for God is also, even when we're alive today, it is grounded in in spiritual reasons, not just physical reasons, because then what's going to be? We get to the spiritual world, and we no longer enjoy the state, and we no longer enjoy, enjoy all the physical benefits that we based our love for God here upon, and then we're going to lose it. Even after we are dead, we can potentially lose our stature that we worked so hard to attain in this world. As always, my email address is rabbiwalby, gmail.com. Don't hesitate to send me emails with any questions, comments, feedback. Send me your story. Let me know what's happening. rabbiwalby at gmail.com.